Well, good morning. We're really glad that you're here today. Glad that you can join us online, and uh, we'll be celebrating communion in just a short time. Um, we've been talking these days about the Ten Commandments, and uh, those are in Exodus 20. We're going to be looking at verse 16, and there's a Bible app event for this. I'll have almost all of the text on the screen as well, um, but you can follow along in your own scripture if you would like to, or you can use that Bible app event for the message. Ten Commandments. One of them has to deal with truth. And here's a question I have for you. Does truth really matter? I mean, can it be what I feel like? Can it be what I have in my opinion, in my head? Does telling a lie really matter? Is it really important that I don't stretch the truth, that I don't bend the truth? Does truth really matter? I mean, (laughs) we live in a world today, and I think all of us would probably agree with this, where truth is elusive. It's really hard to see. We live in a world as well where we've been told for at least a generation or two <laughs> the truth is whatever you want it to be. And if you're thinking, oh, what are you talking about, Pastor Steve? That's not the case for me. Well, that's your truth, but my truth is, you see how, that, how it works there? A truth can be whatever I want it to be. Try that with a judge. Well, that's your truth, your honor, but that's not my truth. That's not going to carry you very far, is it? And today in our society, you see people are very confused about what is true and what is false, and they tend toward gullibility. And that's true. (laughs) Gullibility. Let me give you a couple examples. This is 21 years ago in January of 2020. Nope, January of 2000. Before there was Facebook, before there was social media, a series of chain mails were going around and reporting, this is chain email, I should say, they were reporting that imported bananas were infecting people with what was called necrotizing fasciitis. I'm probably not saying that right, fasciitis. Yeah, if you're wondering what that is, the email told you it is a rare disease in which the skin erupts into livid purple boils before it disintegrates and peels away from the muscle and bone beneath. January 2000. It wasn't real. Who's going to believe something like that? Well, enough people that the Centers for Disease Control had to set up a special hotline for people who were calling about the banana fever. (laughs) It was the banana hotline. Now, emails like that were nothing more than worthless words. Here's another one. It was just this week. I don't know if you saw it in your news feed. This week, this past week, a group of people numbering as a few hundred, you can see the videos of it if you go online, they showed up in downtown Dallas to wait for the return of John F. Kennedy Jr., who died in 1999. Now, let me help you out here. We had a president named John F. Kennedy Sr., He died, he was shot in Dallas and killed in 1963. He had a son named John F. Kennedy Jr. who died in a plane crash in 1999 and his body was cremated. So here's what happened. This past week, a group of people showed up at the place that the president had been assassinated and were awaiting by all appearances the resurrection of the president's son. And here's what they said. 
They said that the return of JFK Jr. in the city and place that his father had died in 1963 would establish an entire new kingdom. And I'm not going to read anymore because it's simply ridiculous. Do you know what it is? It is worthless words. And we got a lot of them. By the way, a lot of you might be thinking, I'm way too smart to ever fall for any worthless words. Did you know that there are Nobel Prize winners in chemistry, in physics, in politics, in literature, in many different fields? Nobel Prize winners who sociologists and psychologists say they have Nobel disease. And what that means is that they were really smart one time, but now they believe something that nobody should believe. They're gullible, and they're believing a lie, things that turn out to be absurd. Google it. You'll find a lot of worthless words. So my point, truth is elusive. And that's one of the reasons that the Ten Commandments speaks about truth. It's commandment number nine, and it says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And if you do that, you are speaking worthless words. I want to begin kind of laying some groundwork as we think of this, and I don't want the wording to confuse you. I want you to recognize that this commandment applies broadly. And I feel a need to say this because I've talked to people who think this only applies to the courtroom. I've had people say to me, Well, you know, the Ten Commandments, the one about lying isn't about lying. It's about giving false witness against your neighbor. So it doesn't, it doesn't apply to what I say to my wife about where I was last night. I'm not breaking the Ten Commandment when I do that. And you can see why they would feel that way because of just the the sound of it. False testimony, bearing false witness. Those are courtroom terms. It would be natural for us to conclude that. However, you can't limit this to the courtroom because these commandments are about common experiences. Let me try to illustrate this. They address everyday struggles that you and I have. Jesus, when he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of breaks this down for us. Think about it. The seventh commandment says, you shall not commit adultery, right? So that's the uncommon sin. How many of us here have literally, no, don't put your hand up for that, right? But it's very uncommon, right? To commit, literally commit adultery. But all of us, Jesus points out, have lusted in our heart. All of us have had that problem, and that is the common struggle. Think of another commandment. Think of the eighth commandment. You shall not murder. How many here have murdered anybody? No, no, we haven't done that, right? That is the uncommon sin, to murder someone. But we all know the common struggle, anger and hatred in our heart. And now here we are at command number nine, and the the command is against false witness, and the uncommon sin would be to speak falsely in a courtroom kind of setting about your neighbor's behavior. Most of us have not had to do that or not even done that. You never have to do that. Most of us have never done the uncommon sin. But the common sin, the common struggle, speaking worthless words, all of us, all of us have dealt with that. This commandment, (laughs) uses this phrase, false testimony. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And false testimony is really words without value, words without worth, worthless words. I love that phrase, worthless words. I'd like to tell you that that's original with me, but 
I took it from another author, and I can't remember who. I always try to give people credit for things like that, and I don't remember where I picked it up at. But I love that phrase, worthless words. You kind of get a hint of it in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 59, the prophet is speaking for God when he's talking about how God's people have wandered away from who God is and behaving the way they should as a people of God. And in verse 4 of Isaiah 59, listen to it from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says, No one makes claims justly. No one pleads honestly. They trust in empty and worthless words. They conceive trouble and give birth to iniquity. Worthless words. If something is false, like false testimony, well, then it's counterfeit. And being counterfeit, it has no value. What is the value of a counterfeit $3 bill? (laughs) Nothing, because it's false. What is the value of a falsified insurance policy? Nothing, because it's false. What is the value of a forged credential in terms of license or something like that? Nothing when it is discovered to be false. A false testimony is a worthless testimony. Damaging testimony. Worthless words. We say a lot of worthless words, you know. I'll give you a couple examples. You know, Willis said that you would not make a good father. He always says that about you. <laughs> worthless words. Why are you even saying that? There's no value, and it's just damaging. You know, John, he doesn't know anything about that promotion that he got. I heard that he got the promotion because he went to high school with the boss's daughter. Worthless words. Why would I say that? Where's the value in that? It's damaging. You know, Belinda really doesn't know how to dress those kids. She doesn't even know how to wipe the breakfast off their faces. (laughs) Worthless words. No value. Damaging. When I think of false testimony, I obviously think of the lies, the false things, but I, I think that there's an issue of Our words are important and they ought to have a character to them that is high and meaningful and noble and valuable. What we say is important. And Jesus says this. Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 12 and in verse 36 he says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Empty words. Worthless words. Can you think of some characteristics of worthless words? I'm sure you can. Let me offer a couple. Generally speaking, they are untrue. Surely a false testimony is something that is untrue. And when something is untrue, then it is out of phase with Christ. It is out of step with Christ. It is out of sync with Jesus. That which is untrue is always out of step with him because he himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Worthless words, often untrue, never in step with Jesus. Worthless words are often untrue. Worthless words often lack justice. They're unfair. It says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. 
That would be unjust. That would be unfair. That would be downright evil. Sometimes worthless words are actually designed to injure by worthless people. Pastor Steve, did you just say worthless people? (laughs) I want you to think about a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel has become in Western society just a name that you know, but you might not know much about her. You know, kind of like Helen Keller, or kind of like Madame Curie, or kind of like Lady Macbeth, or kind of like Jezebel. Who was she? Jezebel was the wife of a king named Ahab. He was extremely evil. And Jezebel, she might even have upped him a little bit. Ahab wanted some of this... Oh, I want to just say this. When I said Jezebel might have upped her husband Ahab in evilness, women who knew the story were nodding. I'm always real careful, you know. Yeah, yeah. Ahab, the king, wanted a piece of property. It belonged to a man named Naboth. It was a vineyard. He went and he said, sell me your property. I would like your property. And Naboth, knowing the law of God, knew that the property had been laid out when they entered the promised land and it wasn't supposed to leave the hands of the family that God had given it to. And so Naboth, being a godly man, says, I can't do that. It would be a sin against the Lord to even do that, he's thinking in his mind. So Ahab is doing what every every weak, spineless man does. He's pouting. And Jezebel sees it. And Jezebel says, I'll take care of this for you, kiddo. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and sent two worthless men opposite him. And let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. And then take him out and stone him to death. That'll get you your land, buddy. Yeah. Worthless men, worthless words, no justice. Worthless words are often untrue. Worthless words are often unjust. I've noticed that worthless words are evidently often shameful because you don't tell them to just anybody. Have you noticed that? I would never say that to his face, but I'll tell it to you. Hmm. Has that happened to you? That's happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to you. Someone spoke worthless words, not to your face, but behind your back, and it's cost you a friendship or two. (laughs) It's not fair. Maybe what they said wasn't true. It wasn't something they would ever say to your face but it was damaging. It even happens in families. I have a rule in our family. This is the rule for the Steve Shields family and all the rest who follow them. I'm making it as a patriarch in my family. It goes like this. You never talk about another family in a bad way behind their back. Don't do it. You don't judge your sister's parenting, Tim. He's never done that. You don't judge your sister-in-law's financial decisions, Esther. You don't judge the way they keep house. You don't talk about that behind their back. Do you know why I made that rule? Because I saw it in my family of origin, sorely lacking. Sorely lacking. 
We don't talk to one another behind our backs. We just follow James's counsel. I got, got carried away there. <laughs> I'll get you James's counsel in just a minute. Here's the fourth one. Connected with this reality is that worthless words are damaging. It's uh, something that hurts you, something that breaks you, something that destroys. Something that James speaks of in James chapter 4, verse 11, when he says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another, because that would be worthless words. Now, worthless words are heavy. This is kind of a heavy kind of a message. What I want to do is kind of, as we move toward communion, I want to just help you transition your thinking so that you can say, I get it. Worthless words are worthless, and I want to quit saying them. How do I do that? And I want to give you four ways to do that that come from Scripture, four ways that you can rid yourself of worthless words. And they all come from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians is written to a group of Christians in a city named Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul, as the Spirit of God, is breathing these words. He's having them penned on the page. He says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that, they may, that it may benefit those who listen. He's talking about worthwhile words. So before you speak, before you're going to say something, ask yourself some questions. My wife, when she was raising the children, said to Esther and to Tim and to her third child, me, over and over again, this sentence, think before you say something. Think before you say something. She was doing that probably to keep the peace among the kids, right? But she was doing that because this is how you rid yourself of this problem. And the thing you can think of is, first you can ask yourself a question. Is this wholesome? You know what wholesome is, right? It's a brand name of bread. Do they still have wholesome bread? Right? Isn't that clever? It's spelled H-O-L-S-O-M-E maybe or S-U-M, something like that. And uh, I think that that might have been the real name of the person and he, he just uh, used it to, as a kind of a pun. That would be an interesting trivia to look up. Don't do it now. Wait till we're done this morning, okay? Yeah. But you know what wholesome means? It means it's healthy. If you eat this bread, it's going to make you grow up and be big and strong like Wonder Bread did for me, right? Yeah, wholesome means conductive to good health. It means making things work well. So you ask yourself, is what I'm about to say a wholesome kind of thing? Is it going to contribute to creating healthy relationships? Is it going to build, is is it going to make an atmosphere, create an atmosphere that's healthy to be in? I have a rule, and I know the guys who are in my small groups are going to laugh because I'm the guy who breaks it the most. I have a rule, you're not allowed to talk about politics in a small group. There's a lot of reasons for that rule. And when I break it, it's always because I thought of some clever joke, you know. It's a good rule, though, because when was the last time you came away from a political discussion just feeling wholesome? I rest my case. So you're thinking about, I'm going to say this thing, and then you remember that Laurel says, think before you speak, and you're going to say, wait, this thing I'm going to say, is it conductive to good health? Here's your second question. Is it going to build others up? Does it build others up? It's right there in the text. Helpful for building others up. 
You may recall I told you a short time ago that I used to tell Laurel about things in the news that made me crazy, you know? Because I used to follow a lot of news on Twitter and on social media and on the the news sites as well. I would follow all that news and then I'd be like, I cannot believe those idiots are waiting for JFK Jr. to come back. And so I'd walk into whatever room Laurel was in. She's doing a Bible study in this other room, getting ready for her small group or something. I'd walk in and say, I just got to tell somebody this. And I'd unload that on her. And when I walked out, it took me a long time, but I realized that didn't help her a lick. It didn't build her up. All it did was make her feel as miserable as I felt. And I honestly didn't feel any better having unloaded it, right? So I just quit doing it. She's got a phone. She can find that information out. Okay, I say I quit doing it, but I really had to tell her about the Dallas thing because it was just so stupid. (laughs) When I feel a need to vent about it, I probably ought to look at the phrase in Ephesians 4.29. It says, helpful for building others up. Here's a third question that you can ask yourself right from this passage. Do they need to hear it? according to their needs. Do they have a need that gives you a reason to tell them this? What if I didn't say this? What if I don't tell them this? Will their lives be impoverished by my silence? Will their lives be any less rich if I don't share this piece of information with them? And if your answer is no, their lives will be no less rich, then you should maybe ask yourself, do I really need to say this to them? Okay, did you get them so far? There's one more. The first one is, is it wholesome? The second one is, does it build them up? The third one is, do they need to hear it? And here's the fourth one, right from the very same verse of Scripture, is this going to add value to their lives? Is it going to benefit them? And another word for benefit is bless. Will they feel like after I've said this, they were just blessed? Wow, just having you tell me that blessed me. (laughs) Wow, that's going to eliminate a lot of stuff, right? What it's going to eliminate is worthless words. That's what it's going to eliminate, worthless words. Hear the command again. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Let's think about that for a moment as we go to the Lord's Supper. It's about more than what happens in a courtroom. I want to suggest that if you broaden this command in the way that I have this morning to cover the kind of witness you give in general, the kind of words you say in general, and if you think before you speak, and if you follow the word of God's counsel in Ephesians 4.29, I believe your walk with God will be deepened. I believe your relationship with him will be richer than it once was. On top of that, I believe that a larger number of people will want to be around you. (laughs) They'll want to call you friend. They'll like to call you friend. And I believe that the friends you have now will appreciate you all the more. And you will be blessed because of that. And most of all, God will be glorified. I've been uh, kind of amazed at how relevant these sermons have been from the Ten Commandments. 
And different people have come to me in a very honest kind of way and said, wow, that just applied to me like crazy. And I'm kind of like, really? I just thought it was me. <laughs> really, it did. And I think of this, this message that we've just walked through together. And I think of how that applies to us and where it leaves us. And it could leave you in a place where you might feel, oh man, I have spoken so many worthless words. That's what communion is for. Because I have spoken so many worthless words. You know, my stories are all numbered because I tell them again and again. This is story number 226B. Standing with a group of pastors in Mahaffey, Alliance pastors, and someone among us who's no longer there, obviously, we're talking without him being present, has committed a moral failure and is leaving the ministry as a result. And we're standing there together and we're talking about it. Literally, a circle of pastors talking about this together. And we're lapping it up like, like when you put out gravy for a German shepherd. Just lapping it up like crazy. And I'm one of them. And I'm not, I'm not thinking at all. And I am sure not implementing those four questions we just spoke about. But there's a gentleman who went to be with the Lord standing right beside me. He was standing beside me before he died. (laughs) So if I had to say again, I would say, there's a gentleman who has since gone to be with the Lord standing right beside me. His name is Fred Yearsley. Reverend Yearsley is standing right there, and the pastor on the other side of me is saying, and he's just in the middle of it, and I mean, the energy is there. It's It's not the Spirit of God who's there. And the guy beside me says, and buddy, there except for the grace of God go I because I'm sucking it in. The guy beside me says, well, you know what I heard? And Fred Yearsley says, I don't care what you heard, brother. And he walked away. You know what we felt like? We felt like those people must have felt in John 8 where he says, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. We all just kind of dropped our stones and walked away. After Fred said that. Because we were all sucking in and spewing out worthless words. And we saw how ugly it was when Fred said that. And that's what communion is for. Because all of us struggle with all of these commandments and their implications. But God. But God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners struggling with all these commandments. Christ died for us. He laid down his life so we could be forgiven. And it is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. And it allows us to look at our past and let ourselves off the hook. It allows us to look at our future And know that we don't have to continue with worthless words. And it draws our heart together in such a way that it points toward the cross and says, thank you, 
Thank you. Thank you. I love Jesus. I love these commandments. I love communion. Because I need them so desperately. We're going to celebrate communion. And I'm going to ask you if you would, as the worship team comes, you could take your cup. The Lord Jesus, did everyone get one of these? Is there anyone that didn't get one? Let me see. If you didn't get one of these, they're on the table in the back and you can quietly slip out and come on back in if you didn't think to pick one up. You might want to think about how to get that top layer off. It can be a little complex. Okay. The scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was condemned, took bread. When he broke it, he offered his to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is for you. And then he took the cup and said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. When the Apostle Paul is speaking of this, he says that one should examine oneself before eating the bread or taking the cup. So I want to give you that moment to look into your own heart. Look at the words. Look into your own heart. Just look at your life. Not for the purpose of belittling yourself, but to just do maybe a little house cleaning with the Spirit of God at your side. And to confess those things and to turn your heart away from them as you follow Jesus. So I'm going to ask Laurel if she'll play for just a moment and in the quietness of your heart, examine yourself, take some inventory, do some spiritual house cleaning, and then we'll take communion together. Jesus, as we prepare to take this cup, to take this bread, we do recognize that uh, we want to honor you with our words. May our speech be wholesome. May it build others up. May it be according to their needs. And may it benefit those who who listen. I'm going to ask one of the elders if they would Uh, Pray for the cup. I believe it's Josh who has the microphone. Pray for the bread, pardon me. Pray for the bread. And then we'll take the bread together. Josh. Lord Jesus, we thank you. As we sat there and contemplated the, the words that we have said that have had no value or words that we have said that have caused damage, God hurt people, and most of all, offended you. Jesus, we thank you that you took those to the cross, that we are forgiven. Amen. 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 Wow, what a perfect prayer, Josh. The body of Christ. Scripture says that afterward he took the cup. So I would ask you to open yours. And I'm going to ask um, 
Mr. Smay, if he would pray a prayer of thanks for the blood of Christ. Tim? God, we do thank you that you were willing to give your life for us. And we think about, and we've said it before, we think about how little we deserve it, but how much you love us and how perfectly willing you were to do that for us. And so as we think about that and we think about our lives and how we can live our lives for you, Lord, we just we thank you for what you've done for us. Amen. Amen. Knowing, knowing that because of what this blood, rep- this cup represents, the blood of Christ, you are forgiven. Let's take it together. <laughs> Scripture says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out and had donuts. That is not what they did. They went to the Mount of Olives, and he went to the cross. He paid it all for us, and uh, that is a blessed thing. He is our, the great I Am who died in our place. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together, and we'll conclude our time singing Before the Throne of God Above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love.